Father, come and speak to us as we look at your word. What's your health like? How we view our health impacts what we're going to do about our health, whether we'll try and improve it. When I was younger, my mum used to give me three vitamins to take every single day. I had cod liver oil, a tablet of that, and then I had a multivitamin and a vitamin C. 38% of UK adults take vitamins. Or we go to the gym, we do CrossFit, or we go cycling around Richmond Park to keep in good shape. Now, what if I ask, what's your spiritual health like? You might have one of the following replies. You might say, David, I'm fine. I'm well. I don't need any help, thank you very much. Or you might say, I'm sick. My spiritual health could do with a little bit of improving, to be honest. I'll go to the self-help aisle at Waterstones. On Waterstones' website, you can, there's 3,363 books marked under self-help. You could do self-help if you're sick. Or you think, I'm dead. I'm dead spiritually. There's no life in me. I need spiritual CPR. I need to be brought to life. Well, let's have a look at what the Bible says about our spiritual health. We're in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his, kind, of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Today I want to talk to you about how to be spiritually alive. We appreciate people who talk Candidly, no sugar coating. I was with a mate last week. He said, David, would you honestly think about a certain topic? Our, pa- our passage today is the Apostle Paul honestly talking about the state of humanity's spiritual health without Christ. He says, without Christ, we're dead, enslaved, and condemned. Verses 1 to 3. Without Christ, we're dead in our sins. Look, at, look with me at verse... One, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. It's a verdict on all of humanity. It's not a specific group of like, like there's everyone and then there's the 5% most wicked people. And he's talking about them. No, he's talking about all of humanity. And the verdict is we're dead, enslaved and condemned. We're dead. Verse 1, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. We're by nature people who trespass. And the, the 
trespassing is rebelling against the law. So we, we rebel against God's law. That's what um, the Apostle Paul is saying. I don't know about you, but if I see a sign that says, please don't walk on the grass, I want to walk on the grass. Right to our core, we're rebels. We're also by people, we're also by nature people who sin. And the idea behind sin is missing the mark. So it's, you've got to think of the bullseye and you don't get it in the middle on the target. That's sin. We fall short of God's standard. Even our best actions are tainted by self-promotion. They're tainted. And our rebellion and failure causes us to be dead. Just like Adam and Eve, they rebelled and sinned. They trespassed against God's law in the Garden of Eden. And that led to spiritual death. So it is with us. Our, Our rebellion leads us to being dead. We're dead. We're also enslaved. He says, he says there's like a triple, a, a triple alliance, an axis of evil. And it's of the world, the devil, and the flesh. We, we walked, verse 2, in which you once walked following the course of this world. So we follow the world. We follow the prince of the power of the air, that's the devil, and the, the spirit that's now at work in the sons of disobedience. And among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. So he's saying this, these th- this triumvirate of the, the world, the devil, and the flesh. And he says we, we walked according to the patterns of the world. The world in scripture almost always has a negative connotation. John 3, it's God so loved the world. And he's highlighting the world was so depraved, so turned against God. And yet God loved, God loved it. The world has, has got a negative connotation. We follow the way of the world in rebellion against its creator. And we also follow the devil. He says he's the prince of the power of the air. The devil has some power and authority, and he's using it to wield death and destruction across the world. In um, the Rwandan genocide, there was a, a Canadian three-star general called... Romeo Dallaire, and he wrote a book entitled Shake Hands with the Devil. And he talked about his experience being part of the UN peacekeeping force. And he'd seen such evil, he knew there was the devil behind it, at part to play behind it. So we followed the devil, and we lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and mind. We follow our lusts, our passions. Our desires. That looks good. Let me try that. They look stunning. Let me imagine being with them. Or let me even get with them. That felt good when that happened. I'll do it again. And we're addicted to our dopamine hits. The rush that we get from the likes, the porn, the drugs, the power, the success. I don't know about you, but I often feel enslaved to my flesh. I get impatient sometimes with my kids. And I do what I don't want to do. And I do what I... I don't do what I do want to... I don't do what I want to do. You know what I'm trying to say. And I do what I don't want to do. As Paul says in Romans. We're dead, we're enslaved to the world, the devil and the flesh, and we're condemned. Verse 3, he says... Look with me, he says... We were by nature children of wrath, 
like the rest of mankind. All humanity stuck in rebellion and slavery is condemned. It faces the wrath of God. My dad's old vicar described wrath as God's personal, righteous, constant hostility to evil, his settled refusal to compromise with it, and his resolve instead to condemn it. We face the wrath of God. In March uh, last year, El Salvador had its most violent day in its history. There was gang violence across the country. 62 people were murdered. And then um, and El Salvador struggled with a rife drugs trade, criminal gang violence, and lots of sex trafficking. And in response, the government had a massive crackdown. 55,000 people were put in behind bars. And uh, the president, President Bukele, he started a jail. He built a special jail for the most violent gang members, 40,000 of them. It's called CECOT. And photos have been released of this. It looks... Terrifying. That photo doesn't do any justice, actually. But it's maximum security. 156 people will be in this tiny room. There's no mattresses. They're on metal beds, no air conditioning, despite no fans, despite the humidity and the hot weather. And they're only going to leave for um, online hearings or solitary confinement. It's cramped. No outside recreational space. And in a sense, as I was reading it, I thought the El Salvador situation reflects the state of humanity without Christ. Without Christ, we're lawless. A world rife with corruption. Even policymakers we have who are corrupt, like Seb Blatter at FIFA. Lawless and enslaved to the world, the flesh, and the devil. And death ensues. That's the result of when we're lawless. And wickedness ravaging God's good creation deserves condemnation. It deserves justice. We all agree that evil shouldn't go unchecked. Nurse Lucy Letby deserves justice for murdering children. Wayne Cousins, who killed Sarah Everard, tragically, the other year, shouldn't go free. Putin's invasion of Ukraine shouldn't be overlooked. And we might be respectable, and we might judge others about their being enslaved, but actually, we're all enslaved in our rebellion. A friend said, um, he said, he was at Alcoholics Anonymous, he said, some middle-class women are alcoholics anonymous, are the worst. They're deluded that they're fine and just using it as therapy. But we can all delude ourselves about our standing before God with our evil. And God's eternal dealing with this evil is to consign it to a place called hell. And Secot is a picture of that. Except there's a couple of differences There's questions about the legality of the roundup. They just swept everyone they thought was guilty and they rounded them all up. But God's perfectly just and his judgment is completely fair. And your time in Seacott will come to an end, but we're warned by Jesus that hell is eternal. Hell's a terrible place and and it does and it should bring tears to our eyes when we pray for our friends and family 
who reject Christ. Without Christ, we're dead, enslaved, and condemned. And if that was the end of the talk, you'd class this as a tragedy. It, we'd all walk out, heads, we'd be a bit um, depressed, wouldn't we, if that was the, the end of the, the talk. But it doesn't end there. And God took the initiative to change the situation. And did you see the contrast? In the first section, it was, you were dead. You once walked. We all lived in the passions of our flesh. I.e., we were at fault. And then this glorious fresh air comes in. Verse 4, but God, being rich in mercy because of his great love, We don't have to stay dead in our sins. God's great love has made us alive in Christ. So how do we get from dead to alive? It's God's great love. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. His great love, his mercy, makes us alive in Christ. We were completely helpless. We weren't fine, not needing help. We weren't a little bit sick and needed a divine GP to make us better. We were dead. Our spiritual heartbeat was flat. There was no spike. We needed spiritual CPR. Dead people can't make themselves better. Dead people need to be made alive. And so God has made us alive. He's given us spiritual CPR Through his loving kindness. Through his son, Jesus Christ. God's love, we're told actually, it's part of his character. Because of the great love with which he loved us. He oozes mercy and kindness. God cannot resist loving his people. The other term that he talks about is grace. The Apostle Paul, he says, by grace... Verse 5, you've been saved. God's grace is his undeserved kindness. And grace is one of the unique things about Christianity. I walked, I was down the street, there's a bus um, shelter with an advert on the bus stop. And it said, it's about a yogurt, you might have seen it. It says, not fair on other yogurts. I thought it was quite clever. Grace is what make, grace is not fair on other religions. Every other religion says, follow these rules, do this, don't do that, and you'll be sweet with God. Grace says, you won't, you can't, but he has. You don't have to earn God's favor and approval. In fact, you can't because you're dead and you're enslaved. But by trusting in Jesus, life death and resurrection, you're given God's favor and approval. And we're told about the status of someone who trusts in Christ. God's love does three things. Look at me at verse 5. He says, we're made alive in Christ. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. We're not spiritually dead in the grave. If you're here right now and you're trusting in Jesus, you are not spiritually dead. Our body will die, and you may have experienced the loss, a loss of a loved one in the last year. 
But you will be made alive when Je- just as Jesus was made alive. Death is not the end. And so Christians, we shouldn't fear death. As they sing in the Messiah, where, O oh death, is your sting? So we're made alive in Christ. The second thing that happens to everyone who trusts in Christ is, verse 6, we're raised with Christ. He raised us up with him. Christians follow the trajectory of Christ. Death isn't the, the bottom. It's just the bottom. It's not the end. Life didn't end in the grave for Jesus. He was raised literally to, to, to life, and then he ra- was raised even more. He ascended to heaven. And that's what will happen to the Christian. We're raised with Christ. And he says, thirdly, we're seated with Christ. Look at verse 6. Raised us up with him and seated us up with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now, you may be thinking, David, I'm sat in a red chair in Wandsworth right now. I am not seated with Christ. I'm just here on earth. And I don't think Paul is saying you're simultaneously here on earth and, and at the same time you're in heaven, seated with Christ. I think he's saying, and sometimes they use this in the Bible, it's so certain it's going to happen, it's as good as done. And so he can use a past tense because it's definitely going to happen. So you are seated here right now, but when you die and you're, you're raised to new life, you will be seated with Christ at the right hand of the Father. It's as good as done. What we've seen is this. God's great love gets us from death to life. Now, how do we live in light of this? Everyone here will be in one of the following groups. And tell me if I've, I may have missed you out. But I think everyone is going to be in one of these groups. And they overlap with what we talked about at the beginning of the talk. You might say, I'm fine. David, this situation you're talking about is really intense. In fact, you're getting quite emotional about it. Just relax. And it doesn't ring true for me. I honestly, David, I really don't see my need of Jesus. If there is a God, I'm good enough anyway. Now, if that's you, I've got two challenges. Firstly, would you say a simple prayer? Would you ask God to show himself to you? find he tends to do that. If you ask him, he does. And secondly, ask him to show you your need of him. I find as soon as I think I'm fine, God starts showing me, oh, David, you're really selfish. I'll, just, I'll do these really selfish things, or I'll, my mind will be filled with lust or pride. As soon as I think I'm fine, he shows me I'm not fine. So ask him, say, God, show me whether I need you. And I'd also plead with you to keep exploring, keep coming to church, keep exposing yourself to God's word, because that's going to provide the most accurate diagnosis on our state than anything else. So you might think I'm fine. The second group is you might think, I'm really not well, I'm actually dead inside. You've really put your finger on it, David. I've tried everything, I need help, I want to stop deceiving myself and others. What do I need to be made truly alive? All you've got to do is trust in Jesus. You've got to throw yourself upon him, trust in his grace, and that's what carries you from death to life. And I'll say a little prayer later on that you could pray to to go from death to life. And the final group is people who are alive in Christ. I've 
I've realized I'm helpless spiritually, but in Christ I'm made alive. I'm going to be raised and seated with Christ. Now, if that's you, look down with me at verse 8. This is what you need to hear. For by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. If you're following Christ, remind yourself, grace got you on the path. And it's grace that will keep you on the path. Don't think, I need to go to church. I need to read my Bible. I've got to be giving my money to the church. I've got to be telling my friends about Jesus. And that's going to make me right with God. Keep thanking Jesus for the cross and his grace. We, we, those are all good things to do, but they, are, they don't save us. It's his grace that saves us. And his grace stops us from boasting, he says, so that no one may boast. Verse 9. But also know this. You are God's workmanship. Everyone here who's trusting in Jesus, you are his workmanship. You are like his masterpiece. He made a beautiful world, and then he's got something. The pinnacle of his beautiful creation is his people. You're his masterpiece. And as a result of his grace, he's prepared good works for you. And he's got good works that are, he's prepared beforehand for you. So he's already, he knew them before the creation of the world. He'd been preparing good works for each of us to do. God may have a business that he wants you to lead. And he wants you to lead it with honesty, with generosity. That's the good work he's got for you. God may have given you children. And the good work in store for you is to love them, to bring them up following Christ. God may have given you elderly parents. And the good work, my parents are getting older. And the good work in store is to care for them as they get old. God may have given you an extraordinary ability to earn money, and the good work in store for you is to give with radical generosity to advance the kingdom of God. God may have given you a role in an organization, and he's got you there just to work quietly behind the scenes, to love your colleagues, to be diligent and accurate in your work, and talk about Christ when the opportunity arises. And that will glorify God. God may have given you a wealth of time because you're now retired. And God has a new task in store for you. It might be in the community. It might be something in the church where your skills can bless society. God's prepared good works for everyone who's following him. I've got a twin, and um, I used to take great pride in being older than him. I'm 25 minutes older than him. And, but actually, in every other way, Jono was older than me. He was always quicker off the mark. I remember going to church, and he was raising his hands. And I thought, my, my twin's gone mad. And uh, he was leading these Bible studies at school. And I reluctantly was, uh, was helping him out. But really, my heart wasn't fully behind it. And if you really knew me, I had a, a big mask on. I struggle with lust in private. I struggle with pride. And I struggle with telling the truth. 
A, a teacher once, you weren't allowed dyed hair at school. This was the last, well, a long time ago. And my teacher said, David, it looks like there's a stripe of bleached hair down the middle of your hair. Do you remember David Beckham had a mohawk? So all the young men, the teenagers, thought it was cool. And I said, no, nah, so it was just, I, um, I caught the sun this summer. I was economical with the truth. Well, fast forward a few years, and I'm on a holiday camp, a Christian holiday camp. And as the week starts, I'm thinking, this is all a bit boring. I've heard these same talks every year. They make the same points. I've got a little tip. They make the same points, and they use different Bible stories to say those points every year. I've heard this all before, I thought. But this summer, it suddenly became personal to me. As I heard about Jesus, his death and his resurrection, it suddenly made sense. It suddenly became personal. I started to realize that I'm not, I'm I'm someone who misses the mark. I trespass against God's good, perfect law. And I realized the depths of my rebellion. I realized I'm not someone who tells the truth. I'm not pure. I'm not humble. And then as I heard about the cross, I heard about someone who, though he was perfect, though he didn't lust, though he didn't have one ounce of pride, though he never spoke a false word, he died in my place. And I didn't have to lift a finger to be accepted and loved by him. That summer, I really became a Christian. And I'd grown up in a a church-going family my whole life, but I never really knew God. And I discovered that God had good works in store for me. Good works of telling my friends about Jesus. Good works of getting alongside those pushed to the margins. Good works of honoring Jesus by speaking the truth, by being a pure husband. I'd experienced this truth. God's great love gets us from death to life. So shall we pray? And as we pray, maybe we just bow our heads in prayer now. We're going to move to communion in a moment. But um, maybe you, you think you're in one of those categories. I'm, 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 one of, I'm fine. I'll say a little prayer and then I want to turn to Jesus. I realize I'm dead, and I'll say a little prayer for those people. And then I'll pray for those who are already following Jesus. And what's the good work in store for you? So for those who think, I'm fine. David, you're a bit dramatic. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would reveal yourself to those who think we're fine and we don't need you. Because your word is saying something very different. Come and speak to us, I pray. Amen.